0: So before we begin, I have three icebreaker questions for you. Are you ready? I am ready.
1: I love icebreakers. (laughs) Okay. How would you describe yourself in three words? Energetic, social, and if I can use two words with a hyphen, detail-oriented. Fantastic. (laughs) Number two, can you tell us a dad joke? Uh, I can. I can. I live with a dad. So what did the leopard say after he ate the cheetah? Wow, that really hit the spot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and third, what is one random thing that you wish more people knew?
1: So I'm I'm sort of an outsider to admissions, even though right now I'm a little bit of the ultimate insider in admissions. And one thing I've learned over the last year and a half is that people who work at admissions spend a lot of time and energy thinking about their applicants and then they're eventually they're, they're admits. And I wish people knew how much anyone who's ever admitted to you to any educational institution thinks about you and wishes you well on your journey.
0: The Harvard Association for Law and Business, or HELB, is one of the biggest, busiest student organizations at Harvard Law School. Our club's mission is to connect Harvard students with leaders at the intersection of law and business. At school, we regularly organize events with CEOs, general counsels, corporate lawyers, bankers, investors, entrepreneurs, and so on. But our goal is not just limited to meeting leaders. We're also very focused on how our generation of law students can grow into and become leaders. And that's why we decided to start this podcast. If you are a current law student or even a pre-law student, the Help Leadership Podcast is dedicated to you. It's dedicated to you, to your success, and to your growth into a leader in the legal profession and beyond. So, hello and welcome to the Help Leadership Podcast. I'm a Harvard Law School student, Help board member, and your host, Genevieve Antono. Hi everyone, this is episode six of the HAL Leadership Podcast. So we only plan to do 10 episodes for season one, so we're past the halfway mark. And you know what that means. It is time to start planning for season two. Today's episode is with Christy Jobson, Chief Admissions Officer at Harvard Law School. Full disclosure, I love Christy. So among the many, many things that I do on campus is that I'm a HLS Admissions Fellow. This does not mean that I have any insight or influence into any of your files. What it does mean is that I volunteer with the JD admissions office, and I help out at admitted students weekends, the occasional law fair, and sometimes I do school tours. And doing school tours is always a bit funny because I don't study in the library. I like to study in coffee shops and places with sunlight and great views. And so the only time I go into the library is when I'm giving a school tour. And I'm always worried I'll get us lost. Anyway, so I'm a HLS admissions fellow. And over the last year, year and a half, I have seen firsthand just how serious Christy is about improving processes, making them more streamlined, and just making life better for JD applicants. She is always talking to us students Asking questions like, what was your honest impression of that event or that process? And then she actually takes action based on that feedback to make improvements. She is one of those people who really has the end user in mind. And I find that super inspiring. So if Christy ends up being the CEO or general counsel of something someday, I just want to say, I called it and Christy, please send me work. Anyway, I think you are really going to love this episode. We talk about Christie's leadership philosophy and HLS admissions. So if you are a pre-law student applying to HLS, I already know that you are going to be listening to this episode on repeat. Are you ready? Let's go. The cost of producing Season 1 of the HELP Leadership Podcast is generously sponsored by the international law firm, Simpson, Thatcher, and Bartlett. Headquartered in New York, Simpson is home to more than 900 lawyers in 10 offices around the world. The firm prides itself on providing leading-edge development and training to the next generation of lawyers. To learn more about Simpson's summer program or 1L diversity program, visit stblaw.com. Simpson has no influence or control over the content of this podcast, and each speaker's opinions are their own. So Christy, thank you again for coming to speak on our podcast today. Thanks for having me. Super excited. All right, our first question to you is, what is your story? What was your background? How did you become Chief Admissions Officer of Harvard Law School? And What's your path here?
1: I really consider myself an educator. Most of the activities I did during college were geared towards working with young people and working in education. And then I was a teacher after college. So I taught, I taught kindergarten through eighth grade, English as a second language which was a little bit of a misnomer because for a lot of my students in the Bronx, English was their fourth or fifth language. Mm -hmm. I taught seventh and eighth grade social studies, and then I taught kindergarten through fourth grade movement and dance. And then I also did an after-school dance club with the middle school students at at my school. So I did that for a few years and then eventually came to law school here at Harvard. When I was in law school, I continued to do a lot of teaching. I was a member of the Board of Student Advisors, so I was a teaching assistant for first-year legal research and writing, which you are all too familiar with, I'm (laughs) sure. I was also a teaching fellow for a college class and then a teaching assistant for a couple different law school classes, including negotiation workshop. And I was involved in a bunch of student organizations. After law school, I was a law clerk for three years. So I did three different clerkships, state appellate court, federal trial court and then federal appellate court. So it was a good it was a really good gig (laughs) and a lot of fun. And uh, I kind of kept the party going for three years. And then I went to a large law firm. I was at Ropes and Gray. I had worked at Ropes and Gray during my 2L summer. Mm -hmm. So I and then I came back many years later. So while I was in law school, I did a lot of teaching. And my 1L summer, I worked at the U.S. Department of Education Office for Civil Rights. And on paper, it really looked like my dream job. I was getting to do civil rights work. I was getting to do direct work with individuals and students and teachers at kindergarten through 12th grade schools, as well as institutions of higher education. But I think um, in anything career-wise, you have to be really honest with yourself. And one of the things I learned during that summer is I think I'm more of an Advocate than a neutral arbiter. Mm-hmm. And I was in a position at US Department of Education where you're really kind of taking facts and coming to conclusions yourself as opposed to advocating for one side or another. And while it was an enjoyable summer, I knew that that was not the posture I wanted to be in for my career. And it's funny how things can really surprise you where something that you, you think would be your dream job turns out not to be. And it's hard to be honest with yourself when that happens.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go through that a couple more times in my career. <laughs> <laughs> so will I. <laughs> and so could you talk a little bit more about the your switch from being a litigator at Ropes and then working in admissions? Like, what was your thought process going into that?
1: It was really interesting how that happened. So in the spring of 2018, I was a litigator at Ropes and Gray. I had started to develop a bit of a specialty for myself in securities fraud, but I did a whole variety of work. And I actually really loved it. Sometimes working at a large law firm gets a bit of a bad rap among law students and lawyers, but I thought it was invigorating and exciting. I loved the people I was working with and I had no plans to leave. And then this opportunity came up to be the dean of admissions at Harvard Law School. And it very much struck me as a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's not the type of job that's going to open up every two or three years where you could say to yourself, oh, I'll just, I'll wait till the next time it comes around. This really felt unique. And the opportunity to shape a community that I was a part of as a student, that I'm a part of forever as an alumna, and an institution I really cared about seemed like something I just couldn't pass up. It also brought me back to education and and back to being in a higher education space, teaching, mentoring in a very different way, but working with people as they make a really important life decision. Yeah. And I know this is something you're very passionate
0: about because I also looked you up on LinkedIn and you had admissions even as you were clerking.
1: That's right. So I came to the job new in the sense that I hadn't ever been the Dean of Admissions of anything before. But I had actually been an outside reader for the office for a number of years. So while I was clerking, I was what we call an outside reader in admissions. All admissions offices have them. So it's people who are trained to read files, take notes, uh, summarize, give some of your first impressions, and then give the files back to the senior full-time leadership on an admissions team who then do second and third reads and work through the files. So I was a first reader. And that was something I really loved. I loved all the stories. Yeah. I still love all the stories. Sometimes I think about uh, as fun as it is to be the dean, sometimes I think I should make a new position that's just 40 hours a week of reading files and then demote myself to that <laughs> position so I could just read all the time. Yeah. And I know you care deeply about your admits because we've talked about how like you spot them and you know their stories. I do. So sometimes I describe it like I I see people in the Hark, which is our cafeteria here at HLS, and it's like they've got a little bubble over their heads with sometimes I remember the most random facts about them. So there's one person who's in the 1L class who wrote a beautiful essay about being a unicyclist. And -hmm. whenever I see him, I think (laughs) I've never even seen him on a unicycle, but I can really picture it and it makes me smile every time I see him in the Hark.
0: All right. So as the chief admissions officer, you are in a very important leadership role. Right? You set the strategy and chart the course for the entire JD admissions office, and you also lead the team. So how would you describe your leadership style? And you know, what's your leadership philosophy?
1: I lead with a lot of energy and enthusiasm. Sometimes people describe themselves as quiet leaders or people who lead by example. I mean, I'd like to to think I do lead by example, but I really lead from the front. I think my team would say I lead with an emphasis on efficiency. I have a very direct communication style. I'm really candid, I'm transparent. I believe that feedback should be immediate and actionable and very direct. And I I don't really believe in secrets within a high functioning team. I'm very transparent with everybody about what I'm thinking, what I'm hoping for and what I expect. I have found when I've been working with a leader, I find it really useful when the expectations are clear and the goals are really clear, and especially when everything is leading back to an overall mission. Mm -hmm. So one thing I did with my team, we did a retreat in New Hampshire last year. So we did a whole overnight and we went hiking and it was really fun and we made tacos. But one of the things we did was a mission vision values exercise, because I believe that within a high functioning team Everything you do, everything large and small, every initiative should trace back to your team's vision, your mission, and then all the values that drive you and drive your work. And I think taking the time to do something like a vision values exercise is something I'd recommend for any team and any leader.
0: Yeah. How did you grow into this type of leader? Where did you get your training?
1: So One of the things that was the biggest training for being a leader now in my professional career is actually everything I did as a student, both while I was in college and in law school, actually. I think student organizations give you an opportunity to test drive your leadership style and try new things in an environment where it is not quite as high stakes as everything in your professional career. Mm -hmm. That was really instructive for me. In particular, when I was in law school, I was the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Law and Gender. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of people to manage and a lot of operations. One of the things that surprised me most about being in a journal, I mean, you think it's going to be this. It it is a very academic exercise. It's you're in your head a lot. You're thinking big thoughts. But to actually put out that publication, there's a lot of operations work along the way. Harvard Law School gives its student organizations, including its journals, a lot of resources to play with. And then you also have a platform to get resources from others. So as the foremost gender-related journal in the country, we were able to get all these incredible speakers in. It's a great opportunity, but you also need to do some good thinking on the front end Mm -hmm. to make the most of it. So that was one of my biggest leadership experiences, actually. As someone who's on help, I think I completely, you know, relate to and empathize to what you,
0: you're saying. It's uh, We always joke that it's a full-time job uh, being on a student org, but we're also so, so grateful because, you know, it's a team of 46 learning how to work in that team and work through, you know, all the issues that come up. We're like, we're so glad we're doing this as students and not like at our first job. So definitely. A, Big fan of learning leadership through uh, student orgs.
1: I find also both within a student organization and then in your career, it really behooves you to take some time to identify leaders that you admire and think a lot about what works when you're being managed by somebody else. And actually reflecting on it, I have a little journal where sometimes I just ref- I reflect on all sorts of little things, but things I want to remember. And sometimes I, I, while I was a practicing attorney, I would take notes in there about things that I found Useful and not useful about the way that senior associates and partners manage teams, the way they communicated or didn't communicate effectively. And I try to really embody all of the qualities that I find compelling when I'm on a team.
0: Yeah, and I hope that my future mid-levels will be as thoughtful as you were so that they don't just <laughs> replicate mistakes and pass them on.
1: <laughs> and it's it's really easy to do because when you are an attorney, you're really in any setting. You are working in a high-pressure environment where you are trying to achieve something big in a time-pressured setting. Yeah. And I think some of the biggest leadership lessons I learned from being an attorney is the importance of communicating the goal and the overall context to the team. Because we've all heard stories about mid-level associates and senior associates who call you up when you're a junior associate and they say, I need you to look for all of the documents related to X. And as a good Busy worker B, you're like yes, I'll help you. I can do that. But if they haven't taken forty five seconds to explain to you why the documents related to X relate to the larger picture and the strategy for the case, you're not going to be as effective in your work. And it's very much that's what that was one thing I've really learned as an attorney. It is no matter how busy you are, it is always worth the investment of time to talk to the people you're managing about why their work is important, and how it fits in with the larger picture. I mean, it's certainly good for morale, and that's part of it, but I, I, you get better work out of people if you give them a sense of what they're doing is important and how it fits in. So would you say that your time as a practicing attorney you know, equipped you with leadership skills? You know, absolutely. I, I mean, I previewed this a little bit, but one of the things I, that was most useful to me long-term was The understanding that when you're in a time pressured environment, having a lot of clarity of goals for yourself and also engaging in people with a really direct communication style helps. It doesn't make the time pressure go away, but it really helps. And another thing I learned from being an attorney, uh, which is it's a scary thing to do, but it's important to be really clear when you don't know something. And being really direct about that and not being afraid to ask questions. I think sometimes in law school, I was I was afraid to admit that I didn't know something. And it's easier to nod along and think to yourself, I'll go Google this later. I'm not really sure what they're talking about. But if you can have the confidence to say, hey, I... Can you clarify that? I'm not really sure what that word means or I'm not really sure how this fits in with the overall strategy. You'll have a better sense and you'll feel much more empowered in your career. I'll tell you a couple leadership things I'm working on. Yeah, I'm constantly trying to improve as a leader. And here are a couple things I'm working on right now. So I have a lot of ideas. Everyone on my team has a lot of ideas, and I cherish that. I think it's really important for people to have the space and the time to to brainstorm, throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. But I've been working on setting expectations for brainstorming within my team and making it sort of guided brainstorming because I have a little bit of a tendency to say, let's, let's think about all the things new we could do with Admitted Students Weekend. Let's just rip up the schedule from last year and try this whole new thing. What I'm intending to do is to say, let's have a spirit of of trying something new, thinking things through. And sometimes what people can hear is... She didn't like everything that happened in the past or it's going to be the this whole new big project when really I just kind of want to get the conversation started. So I, I try to set expectations for everybody. Right now, we're just going to pretend like it's a total clean slate. We might do a lot of the same things as last year, but let's let's pretend we were completely starting from scratch. I have found that that's helpful.
0: Yeah. I might need you to do this guided brainstorming training at home because <laughs> I'm exactly that style where I have like a million ideas and it probably drives my team crazy because I'm like, I know,
1: let's start a podcast. I know, let's do this. I know, let's do that. So <laughs> <laughs> some guidance would probably be helpful. Yeah, I can <laughs> I recommend, this is something I did when I first started as admissions dean, and I do really recommend it for anyone who's coming into a team that's preset mm-hmm. and you're coming in as sort of a new leader, is very early do a how to work with me exercise, which involves being really self-reflective, very honest. But I was really clear with everybody early on, I think out loud. So if I'm throwing out a lot of ideas Please don't necessarily take it as I'm telling you the 95 things I want you to do this weekend. Sometimes I'm just thinking things through by talking. I also was really clear with my team. I'm a very pesky editor. Really, really a pain. And every email that goes out of our office, every blog post that goes up, I've arranged and rearranged the structure and gotten really in the weeds about the phrasing. And I've, I'm have i glad that I told everybody I would be like that at the front end because then it wasn't a surprise later. And I told everyone, I was like, it's not going to be a critique of your work. I'm sure I will love everything you do. It's just I am a pesky editor. And then I also am really clear what I said earlier about feedback. I clear with people on the front end. Actually, I, I got to hire some new people recently. And I even in job interviews tell people, I, I, you should just know that I'm really direct and I'm immediate with feedback because I think it should be direct, immediate and actionable.
0: So speaking of the, you know, the admissions office, what are some of the changes and initiatives that you and your team have introduced that you are most proud of?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked this. So my overall goal is to make the admissions process as smooth as possible for our applicants. I know that applying to law school is not always fun. It can feel like you're throwing your essays and all of these things you've written from the heart out into the ether. But I try to put applicants in the driver's seat where I can. So to that end, a couple things we've done recently, which are not necessarily the sexiest initiatives ever but really I think have made a difference. One thing we did in 2018 is we built a status checker upload. So this involved Courtney from my team doing a lot of good work on HTML to Build a place in the status checker where applicants can directly upload something new. So if you have new grades come out, if you have an update from work that you'd like to share, a new resume, a letter of continuing interest, rather than having to email our team and wonder if it even got read by anybody, you can upload it directly through your status checker. You see the new additional material that's been uploaded and the date you did it, and it actually goes directly to your applicant file. So the second you upload it, the person looking at your file will see it right there. Another thing we did uh, to that, and we we give application fee waivers based on need. Mm-hmm. You used to have to email our office. We'd email you a form. You'd email it back, et cetera. We built an application fee waiver form right on our website so that you can fill it out right on the web. You don't have to email anybody. You don't have to wait. It's right there. One thing that was a little new this year, <laughs> we tried starting in July 2019, is being a little more transparent about our timeline. My first year as dean, I would sometimes look at all of the message boards where people were wondering, oh, is, is today the day? And I would think, I know that today's not the day. I know it's going to be December X or February Y. And so last year I said, why don't we just publish them? We know the dates we're going to admit people. We work through thousands of applications and hundreds of interviews. And it's a pretty Well oiled operational machine. So, why don't we just be really transparent? In general, I've tried to make our blog a source of information for applicants. We have blog posts about what we think about personal statements, our favorite interview questions. We hope they're helpful. I hope someone besides my mom reads them. We have the timeline right there in December when we did a congratulations to our new admits blog post. I was really clear in it. We're going to send the next round of interview invitations on January 9th. That was yesterday. We did. I hope that for applicants, that's helpful because then at least you don't have to wake up on January 6th and January 7th and January 8th and wonder, is today the day that the interview invites go out? Yeah, because right I definitely the
0: remember the, those days on the message boards hitting refresh. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know. It's hard. know, so, but this is hard. such a great change. We also made our interview process more efficient. This is I, I really love operations work. So this is Again, more sort of behind the scenes, but we used to do uh, 30 minute interview slots for a 15 minute interview. There would be interviews every week. That was actually really tough on our team because you have four people who have closed doors every single day for months and months out of the year. And everyone else has to kind of be quiet because it's interview season. We changed it so that we do these big blitzes now. So we do, it's a 20 minute time slot for a 15 minute interview. So we have to be much more efficient and prepared. I mean, you definitely need to drink your coffee that morning, but we do them as these big blitzes and we're able to get through a lot more interview. Do them all day long, but then have time to do all of the other big projects we want to do. Yeah, I love that you are an ops nerd because
0: I think this is also where the legal profession is going. It's like I think that's right. In house departments, all ops, like law firms. They have to think more carefully about making things, processes more efficient the way that you are. Absolutely. If you're listening to this, you're not allowed to steal Christy away from us.
1: Yet. <laughs> <laughs> we want her <laughs> admissions. I mean, your your most <laughs> precious resource in life is your time. And you really yeah. feel that. That's another thing I got out of being a practicing attorney because you actually build for your time. Your time is your resource. And being really careful and thoughtful with your time is the best thing you can do for yourself. And then our biggest project this year is building an application right on our website. So for our junior deferral program, where applicants apply at the end of junior year. If they receive an offer of admission, it's contingent on them going into the workforce and working for at least two years between college and law school. But they can go into that senior year job search feeling like you know what, law school's all taken care of. This is my opportunity to try to be a screenwriter in Hollywood or or experiment and do something a little bit different. For that process, someone's just applying to one law school, so it's a little bit of a hassle to ask them to sign up for the Law School Admissions Council website, Mm -hmm. to pay for a credential assembly service report, to actually pay for the report to go to Harvard Law School, and then an HLS application fee. So we built an application straight on our website Our experiment in 2018 with building the status checker upload was pretty crucial for this process, where um, you don't have to apply through LSAC, you don't have to pay for the LSAC fees. And then I got Harvard Law School to waive the application fee for all of our junior deferral program applicants. So it's effectively free to apply for the junior deferral program now, other than all the time you have to spend writing your essays and getting those letters of recommendation and the like.
0: No, that is wonderful. All
1: right, Christy, so some
0: people criticize law schools, you know, as not doing enough to equip students with practical skills, professional skills, leadership skills. And there's almost this narrative that if you want to build leadership skills, you know, you should be going to business school and not law school.
1: What are your thoughts on that? I guess I just I don't buy that at all. I don't (laughs) buy it. I, I think people who say that may have a stereotypical first year doctrinal class in mind, but that's just one experience you have during law school, law school is so much more than that. You're working with clients in your clinics and various pro bono opportunities. You are managing student groups. You are speaking contemporaneously with others. You're doing research assistant work. Uh, you're at the forefront. You could be at the forefront of legal scholarship. And I think. Harvard Law School in particular has a big emphasis now on experiential learning. It's baked right into that 1L curriculum. But even take that 1L doctrinal classroom experience— you are working to digest large amounts of information. You're analogizing, you're analyzing, you're speaking on the spot. You're expected to deliver answers and opinions that are strong and well-supported and reasoned in a time-pressured environment. And if you're doing it right, you're also engaging and discussing and disagreeing and supporting your positions with the text of whatever you're reading, your life experiences, and your reason, I think it's a great preparation for leadership. And I have just a smidgen of business school experience because my husband went to Harvard Business School the same time I went to HLS, so I got to go sit in on a lot of his classes. And what they're doing in a first-year business school class is really not that different than a first-year law school class. They're focusing on taking in large amounts of information, discussing difficult situations, cold calls, drawing out class discussion, reacting to others. It's very similar in a way. And I think clearly HLS is doing something right because we are the second largest producer of Fortune 500 CEOs after Harvard Business School. So there's something in the water. There's something to it for the leadership setting in business as well as other areas of life. Absolutely. And as
0: a student, I just know how many programs and initiatives we have here at HLS that are focused on, like, building leaders. We had Professor Wilkins and Professor Westfall speak in Episodes 1 and 2, and they're wonderful. And so definitely
1: we have leadership training right here. I took a class with Professor Westfall and Professor Wilkins, my 1L January term. They were my 1L January term professors, and I got so much out of talking with the two of them. They're so practical.
0: Yeah, I had the, both of them for my 1L classes, as so well. love them. So I know there are a lot of pre-law students listening to this, probably obsessively, probably on repeat. <laughs> so on behalf of all of them, other than you know work experience, which HLS has mentioned, you've mentioned in other interviews, prioritizes, what does your team look
1: for when reviewing applications? Is there a secret to getting into Harvard Law School? Yeah, so we look for people with a strong sense of vision and a sense of urgency to their application. You want someone to put down your application and say, yes, this person has to go to law school. I see it. And by that, I don't necessarily mean you know exactly what jobs you're going to have at each stage of your career. You might not know any type of legal job that you might want to have, but you have a vision for the types of problems you want to tackle, the types of things you want to engage in. Sometimes O'Davis on my team describes it as why you, why law, why now? Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily have to answer those questions as sentences. I want to go to law school because, but the reader of your application should understand by the end what you are looking for. Sometimes we talk about cohesion. Mm -hmm. Cohesion is really important to an application. Things should sort of fit together. The path should make sense. We should understand why you're here applying to law school, why you're applying to law school right now, and why you think you're an excellent candidate. And then there's some baseline expectations. Uh, We want to make sure you're academically prepared. So for that, we look at your undergrad transcripts, your letters of recommendations, your test scores. One thing I'll say about recommenders, I had not expected. Recommenders are very clear and direct and candid. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised at the type of tepid recommendations we get from people. And recommenders will even sometimes say things like, doesn't play well with others, spoke too much during class, monopolized the airtime. So one tip, if anyone seems at all hesitant to write a letter of recommendation from you, just uh, thank them for your time and pick somebody else because you will find someone who who will write an excellent letter of recommendation. A couple other things I don't think people know, we really look for a diversity of undergraduate institutions in our class. That's a big priority for us. So if you're someone listening and you go to an undergraduate institution that is not currently on the list of 350 undergrad institutions in the Harvard Law School student body right now, please apply. We will be Eager and anxious to get your application. Another thing we're looking for is more STEM applicants having a background in STEM academically, professionally, both highly prioritized right now by legal employers. That's mm-hmm. a cybersecurity is a major growth area right now. Biotech is a major growth area, and I, I mean I did a lot of represented a lot of biotech companies. It is important to have people in the room who understand the science or at least can help everyone on the team get to a baseline level of understanding of the science and so more more stem applicants please and we understand that sometimes you took classes that had a stricter curve and your undergraduate gpa might be lower than somebody else's we get it please apply and i'll tell you a secret about how to not get into harvard law school so there's there's Two pieces of advice I have for applicants. Do not be rude to Ralph or Alessandra at our front desk when you call or email or stop in. We do keep track of people who are rude to Ralph and Alessandra. It indicates that you have a lack of humility, um, maybe a lack of patience. And the last thing we wonder sometimes if, if people are aggressive with Ralph and Alessandra before they even get into Harvard Law School. What are they going to be like with Edgar at the front desk of the dean of students once they're there? Nobody needs that. So be nice. And then another thing, I really don't recommend having a parent call for you to advocate (laughs) for you or have them email. So this summer, there were some parents who wrote in who were really angry about their children being waitlisted. And as a parent myself, I get it. You know, I I, I love my kids. I want to advocate for them. But you're going to graduate school and you're going to a graduate school where you are going to be someone trained to advocate for others You're going to be a public defender or a prosecutor or a big firm lawyer working on some of the biggest transactions in the world. Please be your own advocate. Don't have your parents advocate for you. Okay. so final question for today. So our listeners are mostly law and pre-law students. What advice would you give them? Oftentimes people ask me where they should work. Where should they work before they go to law school? Where should they work during law school? But sometimes it's not the where you work, it's about the who. And who you're working with. Um, If you have an opportunity to work for a busy person, and maybe that's in the senior in your undergraduate student organization who's the president. Maybe that is your supervisor during a summer internship. Maybe that's during your full-time job. Any opportunity you have to work for someone who's busy and doesn't have enough time, jump at it. Sometimes those people are exasperating. They show up out of nowhere. They drop new ideas. They run away. But you really have to practice that direct communication style and giving people answers quickly and on short notice when you're working with someone who has limited time. So jump for any opportunity you have before coming to law school to work for a busy person. And then one final piece of advice is going into any job search or thinking about your career is so worth the investment of time to reflect. I think, what do what do I really need? What do I really want out of a job, out of my career, out of my education and schooling and being really honest with yourself about that. So one of my friends calls this the motivational pie exercise. So if you Google that phrase online, you'll find a couple different frameworks to help you think through what you want out of a career. I I know, for example, for me, I really need great people that I work with. And in some ways, the people that I work with are more important to me and I get more satisfaction out of the team relationships and dynamic than even sometimes the work itself or the impact of the work I'm having. So what what you need, what you want, take the time to reflect.
0: All right. So Christy, thank you so much. You are a wonderful leader, a wonderful human being, and I'm so happy to have you on our podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: This was fun. Thank you for listening to the HALB Leadership Podcast. Once again, I'm a Harvard Law School student, HALB board member, and your host, Genevieve Fantono. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating and a comment review. We really want to hear your feedback. And let's also continue this conversation on social media, especially Instagram. Our podcast handle is at HALB Leadership, that is at H-A-L-B Leadership. And our wider student organization is at Harv Law Biz. That is at H-A-R-V-L-A-W-B-I-Z. So we'll see you there. And we'll see you next time on the Health Leadership Podcast. Bye-bye.